Okay, welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Arlene. Hi, everybody. My name is Arlene. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm so excited to be here. And I've got my posse downstairs rooting me on. It's the greatest. And my friend Michelle is here. And I just realized it's being recorded, so no more names. Um, so I was trying to think about what my theme should be. And for many of you who know, I just love music. So I would say before I got into program, it was Frank Sinatra's song, My Way. But clearly that didn't work after the first 20 years of my life. Then I got into program. And for me, it was Paul McCartney's That Long and Winding Road. And I just still, it was still a combination of trying to do it my way, but it was hard. But now I get to say on many days, from that Broadway show, Wicked, I'm dancing through life. Some days I'm climbing every mountain, but most of all, it's that Barry Manilow song, I Can't Smile Without You, and including my higher power. So for the newcomers, I just wanna welcome you. I think it takes an enormous amount of courage to raise your hand, and you're the most important people here today. So I'm gonna spend probably a few more minutes talking about what it was like for me um, in hopes maybe you'll identify and realize that you're not the only one because I certainly thought I was until I got here. So as a very little girl, I knew I had a lot of anxiety and I just never really knew why. I sucked my thumb way past when you should. I was a bedwetter way past, you know, two years old. I bit my nails until I was in high school and I was always afraid of the dark, especially our basement. So I grew up in New Jersey. And so in New Jersey, we have basements. And um, I, we always had to come in after being out through the garage into the basement. And for some reason, I just was terrified. But eventually I discovered chocolate ice cream. And for some reason, that just alluded, took care of, diluted my fears. And um, what happened was my dad loved chocolate ice cream. So we always had a gallon and it's that cardboard container. And I would always, he'd have whatever he was. And then I would start eating around the edges just to think that no one would ever know. And then the next thing you know, and I cannot tell you how many times I've done this, there was a mountain of ice cream. And then I'm like, oh my God, they're gonna know someone else ate it. So I would finish it and then I would run to the store and then try and eat back to where I thought it was. And um, that went on for a long time. I also had a lot of um, death in my life, some of which I'll go into later on in recovery. But when I was in high school, I, um, one of my best friends had a heart attack and died in front of me. And it was fairly traumatic at the time, but back then 
I never knew what feelings were. I always had what I called delayed reactions. And when something bad would happen, sometimes I would start laughing because I didn't know what to do. It was just like a nervous reaction. And um, that night, and I remember the principal came to my house and people were calling. And the only thing my parents said was, why aren't you eating your dinner? And I think some kind of switch went off in me. It's also really interesting. I guess I'm nervous, but I actually wrote notes and I generally don't, but there are certain things that I wanna cover. That's why sometimes I keep looking down. Um, but I just feel that my message is what I used to be like. And then I'll go into what happened and what I'm like now. So I used to be a competitive athlete. I was a ranked tennis player as a kid. I played in high school. I actually even played on the boys team, which back then was sort of unheard of. And I got teased for it a bit, but I didn't really care because once I got on the court and beat those guys, those boys, you know, it sort of shut them up. And, um, but when I went to college, I went to a giant university and my eating really took off. And even though I was practicing three or four hours a day, I, we would lift weights and then my coach would make me run up and down the stadium steps every single day. And then she would look at me and go, I don't understand why you're still, still fat. And then I would leave and I'd go to the dining hall and sit with my buddies that were on the football team and go plate for plate with them. Very early on, my barometer broke. I just never knew what full was and I could just keep on going. I just, I don't even know. You know, people would talk about the freshman 15. I think I gained 50 pounds my freshman year. And um, during the summer, sometimes I would lose it. And then as soon as I got back to school, I would gain it again. And then the other thing that happened for me, and I've always heard this at meetings, that people could stay on diets and lose weight, and then they would gain it back. But towards the end, and I came into OA when I was in college, I couldn't even stay on a diet. I could maybe, maybe make it through lunch, but dinner, forget it. I just couldn't do it. I had absolutely no willpower at all. I just um, had so much shame. And I remember these instances where I would go to certain bakeries and I would order and I would literally say to the guy, do you think this is enough for four people? And it was, you know, me, myself and I, and Arlene having this, you know, company. And after a while, this guy would say, boy, you have a lot of people over. And so I was so mortified, I'd have to find somewhere else to go. But you know, it turned out that it was all about being so incredibly lonely. And in page eight of Bill's story, it says, no one can tell of the loneliness and despair. That quicksand, it was just, I was just sinking. There's no question that food was my master. It had first been my best friend. It had been the longest relationship I've ever had. And then it betrayed me and it turned on me. So I also, um, so a friend of mine told me her father had gone to OA and had lost a uh, hundred pounds. I'm like, whoa, she says, why don't you try it? So I went to my first meeting and I showed up 
And of course it was a Monday and um, there was nobody there. So back then they didn't have uh, the internet. They did not have, it was a recording of when these meetings are. So either I heard them wrong or whatever. So I was there, there was no one there. So what does any normal compulsive overreader do? Next door was a drive through McDonald's. So I filled my car up with stuff and it's like it was yesterday. I remember driving back on the Beltway. That was this big freeway in uh, Washington, DC, screaming at the top of my lungs. God help me, what is wrong with me? I just, I just had no idea. And then I guess the next night I went back and it was the correct night. And there were all these <laughs> older women that are probably my age now sitting around talking. I walk in and this woman talked about eating out of the garbage can. And I never ever knew anybody else ever did that. And it was right then that I knew, oh my God, I'm not the only one. And for anyone who's nodding with me, I really appreciate that. Because one of the things that um, I used to always feel was so alone and separate because no one did what I did. Yeah, you would pig out and then you would stop. For me, that was just the beginning. I just wanted more and more and more. So for the first 16 years in program, I did have abstinence, but that's because I followed a food plan and I worked the tools. I know there was a big book. I know there was 12 steps. Um, supposedly I worked the 12 steps and, um, but it really felt like a diet, a diet club with group support. Some of my closest friends are on the screen tonight. They've been my friends since back then. And, um, but I didn't have a concept of what a higher power was. I just didn't. And then I got married. I had my daughter. Uh, how I was able to get married was, you know, it was one of those things that, oh my God, somebody loves me. I better marry him because no one else is ever going to love me. And I have to be, tell you that I actually knew days before I was making a mistake. I went to my parents and they're like, oh, you're just nervous. So she's like, just do it anyway. We're not canceling this. So I did. And I could say it was a mistake, but you know what? I have a daughter and um, who I'll talk more about, not her, but the situation we're currently in uh, later on. And no matter what, she will always be my greatest accomplishment and the greatest gift I have from being married to him. And so one day when she was a little older, we were at the movies with a bunch of her friends and we, one of them wanted these M&M peanuts. And I know a lot of you have heard me say this, but for those of you who haven't or are on the recording, here it goes. So we're at the movies and one of her friends says, oh, do you want an M&M peanut? And there's that strange mental blank spot. Oh, it's protein just surrounded by a little bit of chocolate. Sure, I'll have one. I'll have one, are you joking? Yeah, the bag was gone. Of course I had to go buy more. And then what happened was for the next several years, it was up and down for me. You know, I still stayed in touch with certain people in the program. 
Uh, I went to meetings once in a while in New York, uh, sometimes in New Jersey. And um, what really happened was I was so freaking judgmental at all these meetings, like, oh, this is like group therapy. Everybody's dumping, nobody's talking about food. And the only one who got hurt by leaving meetings for a while was me. You all went on to recover, but I didn't. That's where I say it was the long and winding road. And then, so this August, I will be celebrating, God willing, God help me, 19 years of abstinence. And now you say, so how did that happen? So number one, I really opened up the big book. And you can see, here's my big book, pages falling out all over the place. But I am happy to say, and Jen, Susan, this is for you, I got one of those big red books with the study page. And now I have to bring it to some place to bind it, to spiral, and then I can start all over again. But I have underlines, I have highlights, I have notes. But what I do want to say, or I actually want to read a part from We Agnostics, it's on page 52. And it talks about, well, for me, it was an exercise that a sponsor had me put it in the I position. And this really talks about where I was. I was having trouble with personal relationships. I couldn't control our emotional natures. I was a prey to misery and depression. I couldn't make a living. We had, I had a feeling of uselessness. I was full of fear. I was unhappy. I couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. These were the bedevilments. So the only part I don't have underlined was I couldn't make a living because for some reason, my whole life I've been able to have and been very fortunate to have a very, very successful career. And I have never taken that for granted. I have enormous gratitude for that. And I think it was honestly my stubbornness and my willfulness that I'm gonna succeed no matter what, because I'm gonna prove to you, to my parents that I can be a success, that I'm not a loser just because I'm overweight, which is what they told me. But, um, but what I learned was realizing that I could not do this on my own and when it really like went into my heart, and I've heard this numerous times that God rewired my brain and my heart. My brain is a really bad place to hang out in. It's like a ping pong ball that goes boom, 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 boom. And, you know, there's some obsessiveness about it. You know, like I would go out on a date, literally come home and start thinking about the China wear, what design I want. It was straight to the spin cycle. Forget wash, forget rinse, straight to spin. And, um, you know, it just, it's so funny. I hear them laughing downstairs. <laughs> uh, but I love that because you know what? Yes, I can laugh. Clearly, we're not a glum lot. Sometimes we are. Sometimes there's some really tough times. But what I know is that I can really take responsibility for my past 
I don't have to stay in the past anymore. And I know that serenity, and this took me a long time to learn, is giving up all hope for a different past. That's what I do know today. So, um, you know, as I move into what's life like today or in the last several years. So about six years ago, I was introduced to an in-depth big book study. Every day you can phone in and they read a paragraph, literally a line at a time and talk about it. And I have to say it has completely transformed my recovery. I can't explain it except that when I did it in New York, no matter what, I was on that meeting every morning at seven o'clock. Sometimes here, clearly as I get older, I don't sleep as well. So there's very many times that I'm up at four in the morning and I just put my headphones in and listen to the meeting. And I listen to the language. And what's incredible is after 40 years, this past February was 40 years of my first meeting, the big book still appears. I see different words, different phrases I'd never seen before. I can't explain it, but I think it's that I have a different pair of eyes and that I've taken the cotton out of my ears and put it in my mouth. You know, I would often say that at meetings in the beginning, I think it's because I just always felt so less than in my own family that I wouldn't even be able to listen to everyone share because I was so busy preparing and practicing for my own share so that people would say, whoa, that was amazing. And then I stopped. And then I just raised my hand when everyone else does and speak from my heart. So in 2017, it was a really tough year for me. My um, best friend of over 30 years died. And then in less than a, the same year, her mom died and my mom died. And it was brutal. The difference this time was that I felt every single bit of it. I cried uncontrollably for my best friend. To this day, I miss her every single day. But sometimes I feel like she talks to me or when I act in a certain way, but I didn't eat from it, through it, after it, before it, when I knew it was coming, I just sort of kept asking God, help me, help me, because on my own, <laughs> I got, I don't got it. I have nothing. And, um, you know, I have written down here, faith has to work 24 hours through me or I will perish. Every morning when I wake up, the first thing I do is I invite God in to spend the day with me. Because, and I try to read on awakening as often as I can because I need someone to direct my thinking and my acting and it's not me. So a few weeks ago, I was walking our dog. We were outside and when it's really sunny out, one of the other things I try to do, because I try to live in the sunlight of the spirit, that when I feel the sun, I turn around and I try to feel the sun on my back. And then I try to lean into it, lean back just a little and ask for that power to be with me through the day. 
So the good news is living in Santa Monica, sun shines almost every day. So I'm able to get that power and be very grateful for it. But we were walking and I found myself talking to God. And then all of a sudden it went quiet and I looked and there was this black BMW really shiny. I'm like, oh, that's a cool car. And then I looked on the license plate and it said lean in, L-E-E-N, in. Is it odd or is it God? It was, that was just <laughs> an amazing moment. And I've now seen it twice. Um, you know, I just knew that it was a signal. So I also wanna talk about the service that I give. I've had a sponsor for most of my time in program. I have a sponsor now who rocks. She rocks my world. She rocks everybody's world who knows her. She has, um, and she takes no prisoners. Let me be very clear. She's tough, but she makes me accountable. You know, I've got, uh, and I'm incredibly grateful for her and for our little posse. And during Zoom, you know, I'm one of the few people during this pandemic that is incredibly grateful for Zoom. It has brought me across the country, sometimes globally. She talks about she has all these Zoom miles from um, going to all over the world. And I just get to be one of her and we just travel together. Sometimes I get delayed. Sometimes I get stuck in traffic, but she's always there for me. And I'm just incredibly grateful to her. She's changed my uh, recovery. And I am a sponsor. You know, I didn't talk about my work that much, except that I've had, you know, a great career. But during COVID, for the first time in my life, I lost my job. So I've been out of work since September. And although this past week, I just got hired to do this um, amazing project. Uh, and it might turn into something permanent. We'll find out. But in the meantime, it is going to be a rock star project that I just can't believe I get to work on. And, but um, so during the pandemic, not only did I get to sponsor a lot of different women and really go through the big book. And what I also, and we start, we start on the cover page because I never heard people say they were recovered. But when you look on the title page, it says a hundred men and women how they have recovered. It's amazing. And then you look in the preface and the forwards and they talk about it and then the numbers have expanded and the growth, but these people have recovered. And you know, what joy, what a gift. It's a miracle, all of us. I mean, I am a miracle. And let me tell you exactly why I am these days. So I'm going to New York next week. My daughter's getting married two weeks from right now. And um, her future in-laws, um, you know, just challenging. But the thing is, I've been able to, I hear them laughing because that's putting it mildly, to really be of service. And my daughter has said to me, 
I don't understand how you're staying so calm during all of this. And my answer is because I have 12 steps and because I have all of you and because I have the big book and because I have a power that I can access all the time. You know, when I worked for the, oh, anyway, somewhere years ago in Colorado, I was tough. I was a control freak and I had to go for sensitivity training. I literally walked out of there and said, oh my God, that was the biggest waste of time. So much for the sensitivity training. But you know what? After years in this program, I've changed. So I said, God rewired my brain and my heart. I don't act the same way anymore. You know, if someone wants to go somewhere and I don't really care, let's do it. Who cares? You know, it doesn't have to be my way. I don't have to be that steamroller that if you didn't agree with me, okay, I was done with your friendship and move on. You know, I didn't, years ago, one of my close friends married this guy that I, I just couldn't stand. I'm like, I'm not coming to your wedding. I'm not going to be in your wedding party. So I'm not coming. And then, you know, I felt bad for years and years and years. And then maybe five years ago, we ran into each other. It was very odd, but I wanted to meet with her to make amends. <laughs> she had no recollection that I wasn't there. She had no recollection that I wasn't in her wedding party. I'm like, look at your wedding album. It's like, well, after we got divorced, need I say more? But, um, you know, the difference is, I listen, you know, this pandemic, it's like, I've called it a collective pause. And I learned the word pause from in the big book that we pause when we're agitated. I don't have to react like I used to. I don't have to be the way my parents were to react and erupt when something didn't go their way. I can just, I can be, and I can be quiet. I still don't think I'm a great poker player because I sort of wear my emotions. I always wish I had uh, Teflon shoulders, but I don't. I have Velcro. Everything sticks to me. But, you know, I think that sensitivity has also made me a more passionate person in life. And that's what, and I'm proud of that. In everything I've done, my jobs are, are usually in the nonprofit world, but it's because I have a strong belief in whatever the product is that I'm working for and trying to raise money for. So in my last few minutes, I just wanna talk about service because I think that's also really changed my um, recovery. As I said, and I talked about my sponsor, I am a sponsor, I said that too. I'm also the vice chair of the LA Intergroup right now. Uh, I attended my first World Service Business Conference. I got put on a committee. And then today I got elected vice chair of this major committee. I really didn't want to do it. But the thing is, I didn't have a good excuse to say no. So I had to say yes. And then they all voted. I'm like, no one else wants to do this? And I'm like, yeah, great. But you know what? I'll do the best that I can. I'll do the best that I can. Um, you know, when I see rainbows in the sky, I know that's my, Beth, my friend Beth's signal to me because that was our thing. 
I try to stand, like I said, in the sun every day. What else do I say? Oh, what I've learned is when I take one step towards God, God will run towards me. I just have to have that willingness. And a day at a time, I'm doing it. I'm walking the walk. I'm not just talking the talk anymore. Um, you know, I think at this point I'm pretty, oh, wow. Okay, there's my 10 minutes. So um, I think what I'll do is stop here. If there's any questions, I can take them. If not, not, I could come up with something else. But um, I really, really appreciate you asking me. Lucy's not here, but Lucy, thank you so much. There's people here who I just love and adore, have really changed and enhanced and expanded my recovery to a way I've never seen. Newcomers, just please keep coming back. If you didn't like or agree or relate to anything I said, that's okay, ignore me, but go to other meetings because you'll find someone and someone's story that you will relate and identify with. So with that, I thank you so, so much for letting me be a part of this fellowship. Thank you, Arlene. So now it's time for questions. If you have a question, you can raise your hand in the participant section. Um, it looks like our first question is from Tony. Go ahead, Tony. Hi, Tony, compulsive overeater. God, I'd love to know what's going on over there with this party, but that's not my question. My question is, doing service with OA, sometimes I find when I'm on committees and stuff, there's a lot of personalities and I kind of want to stab myself or somebody else with a fork. What do you do, Arlene, to not, you know, just, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you must know because you're of service and on committee. So what advice could you offer me? Yeah, that's a great comment because yes, it can be incredibly challenging. But what I also remember, number one, is that we're all in it to make this program, this fellowship better. So as arduous as that World Service Business Conference was seven days, four to six hours a day, um, it was tough. And personalities did get in the way for, for some people. So I did 10 steps. I turned them over either to fellows or to my sponsor. I um, just kept saying, God is in charge. And then the good, honestly, the gift of being on Zoom, if I had to, I could do something else or do writing as it was going on because it does get challenging at times. And when I disagree, you know, I can vote my, give you my opinion, but it's, it's the group conscience. You know, the steps are to protect me from suicide, but the traditions are about not committing homicide. So I really try to um, follow that guidance. I love that. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks, Tony. Next up is Candace. Hi, Arlene. Thank you so much for your share. I'm Candace. I'm a food addict, compulsive overeater, and 100 pounder. I just needed to ask, um, what does your daily spiritual practice look like? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, 
So as I mentioned, when I first wake up, the first thing I do is invite God in. And I ask God, my higher power, to spend the day with me, to direct my thinking and my actions. Then I generally go downstairs and I make coffee. And actually, I forgot something incredibly important to share, that I learned and expanded meditation during this pandemic, so much so that I now lead a meditation meeting Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And it was so hard for me all these years to learn to quiet my mind. But during this collective pause, I can now sit for 10 minutes most days and just sometimes I have to say a mantra over and over again. And sometimes I can just be quiet and listen and do a visualization. I also have this incredible journal that I got from region seven that lists my abstinence and my food and my gratitude, five gratitudes a day. And then I do, I often do letters to God and I'll do it in a certain color ink. Let's just say I write it in blue ink and then I'll take a different color ink. It could be black, it could be any color. And then I write a letter back to me from my higher power. Um, and then at the end of the day, there is a page of my evening review. And then I really am honest about my resentments, my fears, my insecurities, what I did right, what could be improved upon. And um, so I sponsor, I talk to people that I sponsor every day and we read the big book or the 12 and 12. Uh, so that's, I think about it. I hope that answers your question. Any other questions? We have time for one or two more. Stacy. Hi, I'm super sorry I'm late and I'm super sorry I missed your share because there's nothing like hearing Arlene share. Um, so my question is, um, what would you tell somebody that is trying really, really hard, doing everything they can, doing everything that their sponsor is asking them to do and is still struggling with the food? Hi, BFF, love you. Um, love you too. Hang in there. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep asking whatever your higher power or your universe spirit, spirit of the universe, whatever it is for help. Keep on asking and reaching out to fellows that if they will have what they want and ask how they're doing it. Um, you know, I couldn't do anything alone. I was a loner, but I got into this program and realized I need others. I need help. And people that have done it before me, they have experience, strength, and hope, and they can help me get through that time. Um, and to try and keep the food as simple as possible. Like I know for me, I have got to keep that channel clear 
so that I can hear the message. If it gets muddied with food, I'm a goner. I hope that's a little helpful. Thank you. I think you just never know who's on the call that just may need to hear something like that. Thank you. Thanks, Stacy. Okay, I have one question from the chat. What advice would you give for people who are interested in the program, but who have a really, really hard time with religion? I understand that completely and relate to that because for a long time, I was brought up with, if you will, a punishing God. This is what my mother would like, do this pointed finger at me. You better watch out, God's gonna punish you. So I thought it was, I was either good if my food was clean or I was bad if my food wasn't. Um, and that's why there's a chapter, We Agnostics. And it really can be whatever your conception, whatever you want to believe in. Like when I first got into program, my higher power was the ocean. Cause you know what? It was bigger than me. Sometimes I look up in the sky and I see all these stars and that's bigger than me. That's the universe. It doesn't have to be religious. Um, and I would say, even though I'm a traditional religion person, I am not a religious person, I have become an incredibly spiritual person. It took a very, very long time for me to get there and to realize, as I said, I kept wanting to do it my way. And then I realized my way just never worked. But the God way or the higher power way or the spirit of the universe way does work because that power wants way more for me than I could ever want or imagine for myself. Thank you. Okay, quick one minute question, Natalie. Hi, Natalie, um, overeater, bulimic. Um, I also suffer from an, oh, another A, uh, outside, uh, outside issue. Um, I, I don't know where to even begin. Um, I have a year, in like over a year sober. So I've, you know, I've done step work and, and all of that. Um, I just got out of the hospital and suffered three cardiac arrests. Um, and it was because of low potassium because of purging. Um, but just like, you know, outside issues, death doesn't scare me. Natalie, sorry yeah. to interrupt, but what is the question? We only have time for questions right now. Wait. Right. My question is, where do I begin? Like, how do I start? How do I, what? So there are a number of anorexic bulimic meetings. And I would absolutely suggest that you go to those. And also when you go to meetings, whether you raise your hand or put your name in the chat and share that you're a bulimic, you need help and put in your phone number and it will be, it will blow you away how many people will call you and contact you. We all are here today and recovering today because of people like you. The newcomer is always the most important people in the room, on the screen of any meeting. And if you just reach out, my hand is here for you too. And I can, I will private message, you know, I can give you my number. You can call me, we can talk. I can also put you in touch with other people. 
um, go on LA, our website, and there are specific, they call them ABC meetings, which would be enormously helpful too. Um, but we're all here to help and support you and carry you through on your path to recovery. And you can recover, you can. Just takes a little bit of willingness. Thank you, Arlene. Back to you, Jesse. Thanks, Leslie. Um, it is now time for our seventh tradition.